Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to AOA. Thanks so much for joining us, letting us be part of your day. Always appreciate it. Merry Christmas to you. Happy holidays. Glad you've joined us today. Here's what we're going to talk about. Todd Holtman, DTN lead analyst, will join us. We're going to talk markets. We're going to talk about the Fed's decision, their plan to raise interest rates next year. We'll talk about that. Lots to talk about with Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. He'll be joining us in the program today. He'll talk about biofuels and some other issues as well. And then after another night of severe weather in uh, several states, we'll talk with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. What a night it was for many with high winds, fires, dust storms. It's just a a very rough night. And uh, our thoughts and prayers go out to those that have been impacted by this latest round of uh, severe weather, as well as those that have been uh, hit earlier by the tornadoes of a few days ago. So, so much going on with weather. We'll talk with Dennis Toddy about that a little bit later on. But let's start things off. An update on the news. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report joins us. Jerry, thanks for being with us. Well, thank you. I'm I'm happy to be with you. I must say life in Washington seems dull compared with everything that's going on with the weather in the, in the middle of the country. This is a pretty shocking situation with these tornadoes and everything. Uh, and and then of course last night there was there was more bad we- uh, bad weather, uh, so uh, things are kind of winding down here in Washington as uh, Congress plans to leave next week for a couple of weeks. Starting to look like they're not going to get this vote on Build Back Better. What's the latest? Uh, yes, I think that's right. Uh, they it doesn't look good. Uh, Senator Manchin and President Biden have been talking. But there don't seem to be any uh, uh, anything coming out of it. They're still in uh, in disagreement over, I guess you'd say, some of the bigger issues that aren't really related to agriculture. Nothing about agriculture in that bill is uh, controversial, really. Um, uh, so, uh, but but it doesn't. The talks don't seem to be going anywhere. Uh, the latest is that uh, Senator Schumer has filed cloture on a bunch of nominations, including a lot of ambassadorships. So we uh, we think they'll be working on those next week. But right now, it doesn't look like they will uh, get to the uh, Build Back Better Act because they don't have an agreement. You know, a lot of the concern, and understandably so, is about inflation, even though the White House tries to... Uh... Uh, portray it as just uh, temporary or transitory, whatever they want to call it. But it's a major concern for people all across the country, and there's a concern about more spending in times of inflation. Uh, So that's not going to be changed by uh, when they come back after the holiday break. So what are the chances of it passing, you think, even early next year? Well, I would still give the bill a fair chance of passage because the Democrats really want these provisions so that they can talk about that when they go into the 2022 elections. Uh, the question I have is whether people want these provisions so much. Uh, there has, it isn't, uh, it, to me, there are things in there, uh, for example, the, the uh, family leave, the, uh, the, uh, some of the, the daycare for children, et cetera. There hasn't been a major campaign about this in the same way that there was 
about uh, health care before Obamacare was passed. So I don't know about the intensity of feeling to pass, uh, to pass the bill. Uh, that said, uh, I think there will be a major effort again uh, early in the year uh, to, uh, to pass this, assuming they don't come up with some kind of magic and do it next week. Um, there's going to be hearings starting early next year, uh, already in the House on, on the Farm Bill. Uh, that'll be an interesting process, especially as it comes uh, during a year where there's going to be midterm elections. Well, yes. Now, of, of course, the Farm Bill doesn't expire until uh, September 30th, 2023. So I don't expect a new Farm Bill to be passed in 2022, uh, but people are, are, going to be, uh, are going to be thinking about it. Uh, in the last couple of years, the farm bill provisions have been so overwhelmed uh, by what's gone out in terms of pandemic relief and in, and uh, also to address the trade conflict with China that it's almost hard to think about the farm bill uh, agriculture provisions as, uh, as as important as in the past. But of course, beginning this next year now, uh, we're unlikely to have so many government payments that are pandemic-related and we'll be in a more normal situation and maybe then we can see what's needed for the next Farm Bill. More questions and some concerns being raised, even by some Democrats, over the Biden administration's trade policies and kind of looking for some answers and some direction there. Uh, yes, the Farmers for Free Trade had a press conference this week uh, talking about the need for uh, agreements, particularly with the countries of South Asia. Uh, but I don't see anything happening on this. I, the Biden administration does not seem inclined toward negotiating new uh, uh, new trade agreements, and of course, uh, you know, ag, ag ex, exports are are doing quite well. Uh, so it would be hard to make the case that um, you know that agriculture is doing badly in trade terms. Uh, the question is, are our competitors? such as the European Union and Australia, maybe New Zealand, getting ahead of us, and Canada getting ahead of us uh, in this period. That's the case that, the, that these farm groups are making. Yeah, a lot of these countries are joining up in, in trade deals, and we're kind of on the outside looking in. So depending on how you feel about trade deals, that could be a concern. Well, that's true. Uh, now, I would like to point out, however, that I thought the two most important, interesting things that happened this week were, first of all, that Rostin Bainham got confirmed as the uh, uh, chairman of the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, uh, uh, and he's a former aide to Senator Debbie Stabenow, so, uh, and ag groups were already praising that nomination or that, that confirmation this morning. And the second is that Caroline Kennedy has been named, uh, nominated to be ambassador to Australia, which is one of our most important allies and also competitors. She is, of course, the, son, the daughter of, of the late President Kennedy. So we'll see with uh, just over a week to go before Christmas. When, do, when are they scheduled to leave town, uh, members of Congress? Well, the House, um, the House has already left. Of course, the, the most important thing they did this week was that they actually did raise the debt ceiling, and the House was in town to vote on that. But the House is gone. I don't think that they're going to come back. Um, and the, but, at the, but the Senate is scheduled to be here, and I think they'll be here very close to Christmas Eve. So 
again, so all next it could week, it could happen. Back. They could vote on Build Back Better, but it's not likely, right? Right. And if they do vote on Build Back Better, it I don't think it'll go back to the House until January. The whatever they would pass in the Senate would be different from the House bill, and it would require another vote in the House. And the House would pretty much have to accept whatever the Senate agrees to. Uh, including the changes demanded by Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema. All right, Jerry, we'll see what happens. Thanks a lot. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you, and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to all, to all the listeners. And to you as well. Thanks, Jerry. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. More from Senator Grassley on uh, these uh, um, actions in the Senate coming up a little later. But next, we talk with Todd Holtman with DTM. Stay with us. This is AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, each month we get the uh, latest numbers in the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. Here once again, Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmire to break it down. Michael, thanks for joining us. Looks like the numbers are lower again this month. Yes, they are. The, the index dropped from 121 in October to 116 in November, and that's the lowest Ag Economy Barometer Index since June of 2020. And so we've dropped quite a ways from the highs we saw this spring. In April, we were at close to 180 in terms of this index, and so and so some large drops again this month. Both the index of future expectations and the index of current conditions dropped. So both of those sub-indices dropped. The index of future expectations is still higher than the index of current conditions, meaning that producers realize that 2021 is a pretty good year. There's a lot of concerns uh, related to where we're going in 2022. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. 
at his tone. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, let's talk some markets with Todd Holtman, DTN lead analyst. Todd, good to talk with you. Merry Christmas. Oh, Merry Christmas to you, Mike. Good morning to you. Uh, Merry Christmas uh, from the uh, from the Fed yesterday. Chairman Powell says they'll be raising interest <laughs> rates next year. What do you make of that? <laughs> well, I, I think overall uh, it's good news in the sense that uh, it does signal that uh, we are getting a better performing economy. Of course, inflation expectations uh, are part of the uh, other side of the reason. But uh, I'll I'll be having an article come out later this week that, unfortunately, this is the type of inflation the Fed just can't really touch or help. Uh, This has a lot to do with supply problems that we're still suffering around the country. And uh, they're expecting the interest rate to go up maybe as high as 1% next year. But that's not going to come close to, to touching or helping this inflation situation. We've got problems on the ground that are really uh, making things more difficult. Yeah, no real surprise when they, uh, you know, talk about raising interest rates kind of been expected. The key will be how much and how yeah. often. Yeah, right. And uh, from the projections that came out with yesterday's statement, they're looking uh, for a range of a half percent to one percent, which is up from almost nothing uh, right now. So looking for maybe two or three hikes uh, in there. And of course, that would probably be spread out over the year but uh, they also say you know it depends on how the economy performs and a lot of that has to do with uh, just how disruptive these new viral strains are and, and things like that but really uh, I, I expect the economy to continue to improve I, I think we're doing a very good job of battling the latest viral strains all right let's look at business uh, some sales announced to china some of these kind of moved around previously you know, unknown destinations wind up being China. What do you make of the of the business we're doing here at the end of the year? Well, uh, the disappointing part, of course, is in soybeans. China's purchases are still down 29% from a year ago in regards to soybeans. They've been uh, active buyers of uh, cotton and beef, uh, which has, has been helpful. They've been fairly active in the pork market. Uh, that's helpful. Uh, and in the case of corn, you know, they bought a lot back in May and we haven't heard much from them since. So uh, the, the jury's still out on just how much corn they're going to need and whether they get it from us or Ukraine or a combination of the two. So we kind of wait and see. Um, what do you make of these uh, stories, uh, concerns about uh, uh, such a demand for renewable diesel that uh, the demand will outstrip the uh our feedstock, so we won't be able to keep up with it. I'll tell you, this is the type of stories that uh, really make uh, our analyst brain spin trying to uh, absorb all this. Uh, on one hand, uh, if if you look at all the plant expansions that seem to be in the works, and there is very aggressive investment going into renewable diesel, and uh, the encouraging thing is that it's coming not only from crush plants uh, in the ag industry, but they're coupling up with uh, oil companies. 
And so it's nice to see those two industries working together. There ought to be some less political opposition when they work together like this. But it also shows the, the seriousness, I think, and the uh, quality and uh, promise that renewable diesel holds uh, as uh, a possible energy fuel for us. So on, on one hand, it's very encouraging. But then when you look at the expansion plans they have on paper, holy cow, we, we, can't, we don't have that many soybeans. Um, so in, in the estimates range anywhere from needing uh, at least 10 million more acres in the next few years to, you know, needing a lot more than that. And so right now it sounds a little bit pie in the sky, to be honest. Uh, but I think overall we are going to see that it's going to support a higher soybean price eventually. Uh, I can't say we're seeing much evidence of it yet, and I'm not sure it's going to affect our planning um, uh intentions uh, here in the spring of 2022. So if we don't start planting a lot more soybean acres now, uh, I think there is going to be some significant upward pressure on the soybean price. And in the bigger picture, I have to wonder if this new market is really going to need more soybean acres. It's likely going to benefit Brazil the most as far as production goes, because we just don't have that kind of uh, additional planning capability here in the U.S. Always, I'm always amazed how quickly we can switch from worrying about not enough demand to too much demand. Just, you know, we go right from one to the other. Yeah, most of my career has been talking about uh, very depressed corn and bean prices and big piles of both and having a hard time moving it. <laughs> so uh, the last couple of years has been uh, pretty upside down for me. Yeah, we're talking with Todd Holtman, DTN lead analyst. So, Todd, what do you see the markets focusing on here for the rest of this year and starting off 2022? Uh, you know, uh, export sales continue to be uh, the focus, I think. Of course, we have our eyes on South American weather. Overall, the crop situation looks favorable for the soybean crop uh, in Brazil right now. It is a bit dry in the south and the forecast is dry again for southern Brazil this week. But overall, I don't think anyone is backing off of their estimates of a record harvest uh, coming up here for Brazil soybean crops. So uh, we'll be watching that play out. And then, of course, as soon as that crop's harvested, they're going to be planting their second corn crop. And I think that's where the big question comes in. Does La Nina actually uh, come in and give a drier influence to South America this year, somewhat the way it did last year, uh, or not? Um, so that, it's going to be a lot of it. As typical through the winter, we're going to be keeping a close watch on those export sales, and especially for soybeans, it means a lot to the U.S. this year because we're uh, in a bit of a hole right now running behind. So barring something unexpected, you see markets uh, staying in a fairly narrow range, kind of choppy here through the end of the year? Yeah, uh, I, I think that's a, a fair way to put it. In uh, corn, the demand situation, I think, is very good. The export sales are holding in line with expectations, and the ethanol demand has been uh, very good lately, although the ethanol price took another hit uh, here yesterday to the downside. So uh, those, those big, juicy profit margins that we've seen this fall uh, are starting to narrow a bit. But overall, the, the, I think the corn demand is going to continue to do well uh, here, especially as long as the gas and oil prices are staying high. Uh, so, it, yeah, between that and the, the kind of uh, double-edged demand situation we have in soybeans where the 
the crush numbers are very good, but our exports are failing. That kind of bodes for a, a steady to lower market there. So the focus more and more will turn to acres and some of that might be influenced by input availability and uh, things like that, but it's going to be fascinating to see where we wind up on acres in 2022. Yeah. And I'm sticking with an early estimate, Mike, of about 90 million for corn and 87 for soybeans. Uh, and as I talked to farmers around the country and, and uh, had uh, got to do a couple of uh, farm shows, as you know, uh, the last couple of weeks, uh, most of the producers I talk to are still sticking with their corn. Uh, they're still finding ways to uh, uh, fertilize, and some of them have, have done fall work uh, already. So I, I think overall uh, the U.S. producer is going to stick with its uh, corn-soybean rotation. The farmers you talked with at the DTN Ag Summit uh, last week, what, what yeah. did they tell you? What did you pick up from those conversations? Well, obviously, they're very concerned about the price of fertilizer. You know, they, they feel they're getting gouged, and, and the, there's nothing good about that. Uh, but as I say, I haven't heard anybody say that, you know, we just don't think we'll be able to get fertilizer this year. That's maybe uh, the good news. Um, and I have to say, a lot of those guys that made it to Chicago, they're pretty savvy. A lot of them bought their fertilizer early. They, they kind of smelled a rat ahead. Uh, especially with the higher corn and soybean prices, even before, uh, you know, they, they knew about uh, the shortage of fertilizer and what natural gas would do. So uh, a lot of very sharp producers out there, and uh, a lot of them got early bought. Todd, thanks a lot. Um, this will probably be our last interview as I get ready to retire next week. I just wanted to thank you. I really enjoyed getting to know you and, and working with you and the folks at DTN Really appreciate it. Wish you the very best uh, the holiday season ahead and and uh, moving forward. Best of luck to you. Mike, Mike it's been an honor, and, and I wish you and your family all the best. Take Eric. care. Thank you, sir. Todd Holtman, DTN Lead Analyst. All right, coming up next, uh, a Washington update from Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. His thoughts on whether or not there's going to be any vote uh, here this year yet on Build Back Better. Some of his thoughts on what's going on with biofuels and some other things as well. And then we'll wrap up the show in a, in, at the end talking with Dennis Toddy with the USDA Midwest Climate Hub about another round of severe weather. Lots still to cover. Hope you'll stay with us. More to come right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. 
Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall. Choppy trade continues in the corn market. The USDA increased wheat stocks a little bit last week in the December 9th WASDE report, but the price action has been negative. Yesterday's extreme weather is likely to further degrade already low winter wheat condition ratings in the Southern Plains. On the Board of Trade this morning, March corn trading a fraction lower at 585 and a half cent. The May contract up a fraction at 587 and a quarter of a cent. For soybeans, the January contract up 11 and three quarters at 12.74. The March contract up nine and three quarters at 12.75. For wheat, Chicago wheat March up five and a fraction at 7.61. Kansas City wheat March up six cents at 7.91 and a half cent. Minneapolis spring wheat March up nine and three quarters at 10.19. The May contract up eight and three quarters at 10.08 and a half cent. In cash cattle country, it's slow to start this morning following the last two days of light business. Asking prices for cattle left on show lists are around $138 plus in the south and $220 plus in the north. Trade volume totals seem a little light, so more trade should need to take place today and or tomorrow. Beef cutouts are expected to be lower with light to moderate box movement. So far this week, Southern Live deals have had a range of $134 to $138, mostly at $137 to $138, 2 to $3 lower than last week's weighted averages. Northern Dress Trade has had a range of $216 to $220, mostly at $218, $2 lower than last week's weighted average basis in Nebraska. For livestock on the Board of Trade, the February live cattle contract up five cents at 136.62, April down 20 at 140.72. Feeder cattle January down 90 at 162.50, the March contract trading 60 cents lower at 163.87. In lean hogs, the February contract trading 70 cents higher at 80.02, the April contract up 42 at 84.62. You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rall. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Always enjoy our conversations with Iowa Senator Charles Grassley, who joins us now. Mr. Senator, Merry Christmas to you. Thanks for joining us. Merry Christmas to you, and I think I congratulated you last time and wished you well in what you're going to do the rest of your life, but uh, 
I can say it a second time. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And I've really enjoyed over the years our conversations and your willingness to come on and, and talk uh, issues with us and keep us updated on what's going on in Washington, D.C. Really appreciate that. Let's talk about the big one right now as we head towards Christmas. Is there going to be anything done in the Senate? Are you going to have any votes on Bill Back Better or not? No, I think uh, Schumer announced yesterday that it would have to go over into January. So that takes care of that. And then uh, there was some talk about a voting rights bill, but some Democrats objected to bringing that up. So Schumer took that down. So now we're kind of in a position of how many nominees do we approve before we go home? But I think we'll get home this week and be home for uh, uh, 10, I think 10, 12 days, including weekends, and then come back on January the 3rd like Congress normally uh, does and so the answer to your question is I don't expect that to come up and I think most of the people I hear from rural America would have that same view and in fact I think uh, if you uh, look at uh, polls showing uh, the president's uh, proposal to get about uh, four or five additional trillion dollars spent on a whole bunch of new five or six social programs you'll find that the public uh, doesn't support the president either. Say one other thing, if I could bring it up, because we had s some damage. I don't know what it is from windstorms and tornadoes yesterday in Iowa, maybe some other states as well, and that's going to uh, hurt, hurt the people that got hit by it. And I've been in touch with Governor Reynolds' office because It'll be her job to make an assessment. We've got to wait until she makes an assessment whether or not there's going to be a request for, uh, uh, for uh, aid from the federal government, FEMA aid, et cetera. But I don't, uh, I, I don't want to overpromise, but if the assessment's enough, then we in Washington will help the governor uh, get the president's approval. Yeah, there's a lot of damage assessment going on in several states right now, so we'll keep a close watch on that. Uh, what do, What are your thoughts? Uh, how do you feel about the action taken on raising the debt limit? Um, if uh, Actually, if you're going to be a responsible senator, you have to be for increasing the debt to some extent. But every Republican, including Chuck Grassley, is against this debt increase because for the very reason that I said the president has a proposal for another $4 trillion of, uh, of uh, uh, spending, and that's uh, part of the reason that the Democrats want to increase the national debt by over $2 tr trillion right now, we don't support that program. So that's why Republicans are voting against increasing the debt limit. Uh, and uh, and uh, if they want to spend the money, then let them take the responsibility for increasing the debt limit. Uh, and so if it was a smaller amount, uh, probably get bipartisan support, but not for this uh, uh, spending that's going to feed the fires of inflation, which you know is 6.8%, the highest it's been in 39 years, and Republicans don't think we ought to uh, support, uh, pour more gasoline on the fires of inflation, and there's at least two Democrats feel the same way. That's why this uh, Build Back Better bill's not going through. Yeah, and 
What do you think are its prospects even after you come back from the the holiday break? Because inflation, unfortunately, is still going to be with us. Uh, It would seem that uh, those concerns, and if that's what's keeping some from supporting it, I would think those same concerns would be there next year as well. They will be, and I'll have those same concerns, and I think all 50 Republicans will as well. We're talking with Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. All right. Yesterday, uh, we had on uh, Secretary Vilsack a conversation I had with him, and uh, he believes that the administration is being very supportive of biofuels. Now, many in the biofuels industry would say (laughs) the results so far have been mixed at best. What are your thoughts on how this administration is handling uh, biofuels issues? Well, for 2022, okay, but they've done something in addition that's never been done before, and that is allocations that were required for the two years before that. They have cut back three and eight-tenths billion gallons, and that's more than uh, Obama did in eight years, and that's more than President Trump did in four years. So they're doing in uh, 11 months in office, what uh, other presidents did over a period of eight years in the case of Obama, four years in the case of of uh, uh, of Trump. So I think it's dramatic, and the president isn't keeping his promise because he campaigned in Iowa uh, very much for the Republican or the Democratic nomination in the Democratic caucuses, and he spoke very highly of biofuels then in the end uh, there's so much um, so much uh, uh, inconsistency in this administration uh, they don't like big oil they don't like fossil fuels uh, they do want green energy well how much green energy can you get than uh, both ethanol and biodiesel being much more environmentally positive uh, than uh, uh, than uh, petroleum and they're not going to defend year-round sales of E15. Yeah, that's uh, that's as well, too. In fact, that's where the real growth of ethanol is going to come from. When we get, uh, we got these, uh, every car since 2002, so that's 19 years of cars that we can put in E15. That's what they ought to be doing, because the more ethanol you burn, the less uh, gasoline you burn, the better it is for the environment. And uh, cleaning up the environment is the number one goal of this administration. It's even more important than the number one responsibility of the federal government to defend the American people and have a strong military. Waters of the U.S., uh, they're propose- this, this administration proposing yet another new rule. Uh, it's probably going to wind up in courts. Uh, are you hearing from farmers back home in Iowa and, and other states uh, concerns about this change? I heard it from a delegation of the Iowa Farm Bureau. So, so my uh, and this uh, just this week, and I heard uh, from them. No, my advice to them was get out that map that the Farm Bureau used in 2013 and 14 that shows the federal government controlling 97 percent of the land in Iowa under the waters of the U.S. And then farmers are going to have to get a permit to do farming. Uh, uh, farmers are going to be afraid to move without consulting with the Corps of Engineers and with EPA. Uh, that's a terrible attitude to have when you're the 2% of the Americans that grow the food for the other 98% and then feed the, uh, partly feed the rest of the world. 
to worry about can you raise food or not raise food legally. Yeah, huge concern and, and a lot of uncertainty just when we thought we were starting to get some certainty on, on waters of the U.S. Do you see any... Can, um, can, you, can you believe that the, the, the Declaration of Independence says uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? That's one choice Americans have, and the other choice is to live by what bureaucrats tell you to do every day. Hmm. Wow. Uh, do you see anything happening? Are you going to get it? Will there be any Senate action here before Christmas, you think? Uh, just on nominations now, and either to, today, tomorrow, or maybe even as late as Saturday or Sunday, we'll be off for about 12 days for Christmas, including weekends. All right, so we'll watch and see what happens when you come back next year. And looking at next year's calendar with midterm elections, <laughs> That's that usually means it's harder to get things done too, doesn't it? Yes, for sure. And and with spending another four trillion dollars on top of the two trillion that they already appropriated in March, uh, uh, and and what that does to inflation, uh, it's a darn good thing next year's an election year because maybe there'll be some changes made so we don't have to worry about that. And maybe during that election year there'll be enough pressure that a lot of Democrats won't want to push it because uh, it may sound very political for me to say uh, Democrats and they think I'm making a partisan. They made it partisan because there's not a single Republican in the room negotiating Build Back Better. Not a single Republican or a single Republican is going to vote for it. So when I say the Democrats are planning to do this, it's not just a political statement. It's a statement of fact. Senator, we need to wrap it up. I'm going to miss our conversations. I've enjoyed them so much over the years, and I thank you again for your time, your availability. I got your note. I appreciate that very much. You take care, and the best to you, uh, and um, thank you for bringing an agricultural voice to the Senate and to our government. It's much needed. Thank you so very much. I think if I can ever help you as a private citizen other than a journalist or if you take up journalism someplace else, I hope you'll include me in anything I can do to help you. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that very much. Take care and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. As I've said before, I don't live in Iowa. I've never lived in Iowa. I can't vote for him, but... Um, he has been very, very supportive and uh, has been a voice for agriculture, and I appreciate uh, his willingness uh, to work with me over the years and throughout my career. I really appreciate it. I, ha I have farmers tell me that don't live in Iowa that I wish we had somebody like that in our state standing up for us. Uh, uh, he's a tremendous spokesman for, uh, for agriculture for rural America. All right, next we talk about the uh, severe weather. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. 
The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Ron Lamberty, Senior Vice President, American Coalition for Ethanol. Ron, let's start with the things that stand out to you on the positive side from this week's announcement. Well, I think the, the, the good things that we knew about but that got announced at this point were the $700 million in aid to ethanol plants for pandemic relief. We knew that was happening. We just didn't know when it would be announced. And I think we still don't know the details. So it kind of looks like something that they decided to announced so that they could soften the blow of the other stuff that came. We'll see what the what the details are, but that's good. And, and USDA has been very helpful to us. And then they also announced that there would be another $100 million in um, infrastructure grant for stations to put in equipment for higher blends. So that can be useful too. In both cases, I think, again, USDA has always been very helpful to us. And, and you know, in one respect, we knew the one thing was coming, the other one we hoped would. So that, that's probably the best news of all. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. 
Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, unfortunately, we have more weather to talk about with the severe weather that hit parts of the country again Last night with the very strong winds and dust storms and fires. Uh, Let's talk about it with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. Dennis, thank you for joining us. Um, uh, These wind gusts have just been amazing in areas of the country that are normally windy anyway. I mean, this was very windy even for those areas. Yeah, you're right. It really was. And, And, you know, we're used to seeing wind gusts around thunderstorms but and we did have those yesterday but we had prolonged wind gusts that were not associated with the thunderstorms uh you know so it it manifested itself starting in the morning over uh you know over colorado they had wind gusts over the mountains uh, i'm sure flying into denver was not a lot of fun yesterday and then moved out into the plains moved a lot of dust if you saw social media you saw lots of dust moving around um, and then moved up into the midwest with you know these were non-thunderstorm gusts, some places up to 80 miles an hour or more. So, yes, lots of wind, lots of moving things around yesterday. Yeah, and what causes that? Obviously, it's been unseasonably warm in many places. Uh, uh, is that part of it? Well, uh, and, and that really is the combination of effects. Not only warm, but the contrast between warm and cold. Uh, you need contra- a sharp contrast between warm air and cold air, and, and that produces differences in pressure and what we call a pressure gradient, a, sh- a sharp pressure difference uh, in, uh, across a short distance. And when you have that, that produces very, very strong winds. And so we had a very large area of low pressure that was developing very strongly yesterday, had very strong pressure gradients. And so we had strong southerly winds in front of it, and then after the front came through winds shifted around to the west and the, and the southwest uh so you know really pronounced very widespread uh, uh you know widespread strong events that were, were were really astounding um you know some people were talking about this being a, a derecho uh, like the derecho we had in iowa last year uh they're still deciding if they want to call it that or not because there's a different set of, of drivers in this one not just the thunderstorm events but wider spread uh forcing that was causing the wider spread uh, strong winds so what now? I mean, just, this comes on the heels of the uh, the tornadoes in several states just a few days before that. I mean, uh, what's is there anything coming after this now? Well, I mean, you are right, and 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 you know, uh, 
two very odd events for this time of year. Uh, you know, long track severe weather events that moved from Arkansas up to up the you know kind of the Ohio Valley last week. Uh, a widespread severe weather event and wind event uh, that moved dust and caused fires uh, down in Kansas. Uh, now it looks like we get a little quieter for a while here. Uh, there is going to be a system that will produce some precipitation in the Ohio Valley area again. Um, but mostly in the, you know, most of the region, uh, it's going to be fairly quiet again. And, you know, we had that this big event yesterday and we think, okay, for some of the places that are really dry, this will give us some precipitation to help um, some of our drought situations. And the storms were moving so quickly that in most cases, the, the rainfall that fell was not uh, a, a big drought or a big influencer or the worst drought areas out in the plains really didn't get much in the way of precipitation. The only places that did get much precipitation uh, of significance were, uh, you know, parts of Minnesota and parts of Wisconsin, which are dry, so it'll help them out. But this didn't really help our drought situation at all and actually is worsening some of the drought situation because it was uh, the strong winds dried the soil and, and some of the drier air helped to dry the soil out too. Yeah. So, and again, damage assessments uh, are ongoing, and it'll take a while to uh, go through all that. Uh, you mentioned derecho and the comparisons to it. Uh, what are the similarities, and, and how how was this different? Sure. Uh, now you're asking me to go in too deep uh, in a class that I didn't do very well in. But uh, the, the derecho typically is associated with with uh, you know a thunderstorm type event uh, where you have strong winds that are in a more, and not completely isolated, but a, a more isolated area. And they're associated with that thunderstorm, uh, which we did have some winds like that yesterday, but we had a lot of winds that were wider spread and covered a large area um, that were being driven by not localized, but 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 more regional or, or uh, the scale is what we call it synoptic, but over a larger part of the country uh, that, that we had some of these drivers that we're pushing some of those strong winds. So um, we'll wait and see what, what some of the experts say on this. From a, a, a local perspective, it doesn't make a lot of difference. We had strong wind gusts that did uh, did damage. And, and I, you know, when we get down to the ag perspective of this, you know, the overall impacts probably were not huge to agriculture, but certain parts of ag were hit pretty hard. You know, lots of, uh, you know, the things that we're seeing are, are damages, some damages to homes, outbuildings, uh, some equipment blown around. Uh, the event last week ended up uh, hitting a, a University of Kentucky research and extension site that was, it looks like it was devastated. So the impacts to ag were, were more on the damage side and less so on, on the, the, the overall side, uh, like drought or, or anything like that. Real quick, what's your thoughts on our winter weather we're not even officially calendar wise to winter yet what's it look like for winter shaping up right uh you know still la nina driving things um we do see some more colder air coming into the northern plains and maybe some more precipitation up there in the next couple weeks um into the first part of January, it looks like we might have some more. We have a, a, some indications of some colder air moving in further into the Midwest. But again, it's not a sure thing, and it doesn't look like it's going to be necessarily long-lived. So these overall warmer conditions throughout the southern part of the Midwest Plains area you know, may be an ongoing kind of issue as we go through the winter. 
Dennis, as always, thank you for being with us. Appreciate your perspective on the weather. Uh, Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holiday Season to you. Thanks, and same to you folks. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Dennis Toddy, Director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. That does it for today. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.